All righty. If you would take uh, your Bible, I hope you have it there close by you at home. This would be a very important time for you to be able to follow along with me in the Scripture because we're actually going to go through 13 verses in the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number 3. And if you will just help uh, and, and watch closely as we try to go through these verses and follow along with me. I think probably to me, 2 Peter chapter 3 is one of the most classic passages in all Scripture in relationship to the return of Christ, His second coming. We've looked at a passage in Matthew where Jesus said, Like the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Last week, in, in number two, we were there in Revelation 19, this uh, triumphant return of Christ when He comes with 10,000 upon thousands of His saints back to this world. Every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. Great passages, but, to, but 2 Peter chapter 3, I think Simon Peter brings more details into focus, answers more of our questions than any of the passages that, that we could look at in, in a single session. So that's what we're going to see here. And so we're going to begin reading now in, in verse number 1 of chapter 3. And rather than read all through the chapter, I'm just going to sort of begin to uh, plod through this, just work our way through verse by verse, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Now Peter's reminding them of the promise Jesus made to return. That's what he's saying. Verse number 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days. Now what Peter is saying, he's saying, look, I know you've been waiting a long time. You've been anticipating the coming of Christ. And there are all of these scoffers, these mockers who are mocking you. And they're saying, why are you looking for Jesus to come? He's never going to return. The return of Christ is never going to happen. It's never going to take place. You're, you're waiting on something that is frivolous. It's useful, useless. You're wasting your time. And Peter says, look, we're going to have all of these scoffers, all of these mockers around us. But he said, I want, to, I, want to, I want to assure you, church, Jesus is going to return just as he said. And he's writing to remind them. He said, you remember the holy prophets of old. The prophets of old all prophesied about the coming of Christ. Well, he is going to come he is going to return. I began to think about it this week, and I began to think back about September the 20th, 1951. September the 20th, 1951, a very special day in my life. That's the day I was born. 
I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't come back in 1950 or 1949 or 48. You know where I'm going, don't you? You see, if Jesus had come back then, I wouldn't even have been born. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to live, to trust Jesus as my Savior. I would not have had the opportunity to have an eternal life in heaven with Him. So you see, friend, Jesus is going to return. But it's sort of a a mixed feeling sometimes that we have. I'm glad He didn't return before my birth. But I'm really anxious for him to return. I hope he will soon return. Do you see what we're talking about here? Isn't it exciting that God doesn't leave that decision up to us? That God in his wisdom has the return of Christ already set and already planned. And when it happens, it's going to be exciting. You see, every generation of people who's ever lived from the day of the resurrection of Christ, every one of them, all all have thought the return of Christ would be in their lifetime. Paul thought that. Peter thought that. He's writing that here. I've thought that. My dad, who was a preacher, he thought that. As long as this world lasts, every preacher, every Christian who gets to know Jesus and comes to know Him, every one of us are going to think and we're going to anticipate Jesus is going to return in our lifetime. Well, I hope He does. But if He doesn't, there will be more people saved and more people come to know Him. So this is sort of the thought that, that Simon Peter has in this scripture. He says, the scoffers are saying, where is the promise of his coming? Jesus has promised it. He's forgot about it. You just believed a lie. He's not going to come back and receive you. And so Simon Peter reminds the church of something. He he reminds the people of God something. Didn't the scoffers scoff at the flood and in Noah's day? Look at it here in verse 5 for a moment. He says, for the scoffers are willfully ignorant. They forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Well, now there's Simon Peter picking up right where Jesus was, the flood. The flood in Noah's day is a warning. The flood in Noah's day is a testimony about the coming of Christ. And Simon Peter is saying, do you know that the prophets of old, they wrote about it? How that they were mocking and scoffing when Noah built that ark. He preached 120 years Nothing happened. They were all making fun of that old white-headed fool. They called him every name. But he said, but then, when they least expected it, the rains fell. The ark had been filled with Noah and his family and the animals, and the floods came. And Simon Peter is saying, do not listen to the mockers, the scoffers. Jesus is going to return 
Don't think he isn't. Verse number 7 says, The heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Look at what Peter is saying. He's saying right now the word of God is preserving the world, the earth. The earth's going nowhere. The world's going nowhere. Nothing is going to collapse and come to ruin until that day that Jesus returns. Because when Jesus returns, he's not only coming to redeem every person that loves him and knows him, but he's also coming to redeem the earth that God created that has been ruined by sin and the fall of man and mankind through the sin of Adam. And he says when Christ comes, this earth is going to come under a judgment. Now that's what we looked at a little bit last week in the coming of Christ. The book of Revelation talks about the judgment times that the earth's going to be under. And it says in this verse 7 that the earth is reserved by the same word, the same word of the prophets, by the same word of God, by the same word of God and the will of God, the earth is reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition and the judgment of ungodly men. You remember in Jude last week, 14 and 15, Jude, Jude reminded us of that. Jude said the world's going to be judged and ungodly people are going to come under swift judgment. But verse 8, notice what he says here. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Now listen closely. That one day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Haven't you heard that verse a lot? That's a powerful verse, isn't it? You see, God's timetable is not the same as ours. God doesn't think in time the way you and I think in time. And so... Peter is saying, folks, in God's mind, a day or a thousand years, as far as God's concerned, there's little difference because God is eternal. Now, friend, eternal, that means God has no beginning and God has no end. Now, if God has no beginning and God has no end, how are you going to measure what God does by time? It's impossible to do that, isn't it? That's why he says here that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Don't give up on waiting and looking for and anticipating the coming of the Lord. Now notice verse 9 for a moment. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but, all, but that all should come to repentance. Here is a verse of Scripture that gives us and shows us the very heart of God. God says in this verse of Scripture, Even though the world does not believe in me, even though the world has rejected me, even though the world is living an ungodly life, I love the world and I love people. And I'm waiting on sending my son to return 
I am waiting on the world to come to know me. I'm waiting on people, men and women, boys and girls, to be saved. I'm waiting on them to come to an understanding of the knowledge of the truth that they can place their faith in me and I can gloriously save them because I don't want anyone to perish. Here's the very words that Peter says. He says, God is not slack about his promise. God is going to send Jesus. You can bank on it. The prophets of old have promised it. Jesus promised it. And he will return. Why hasn't he returned yet? Here's why. God wants you to be saved. God wants others to be saved. He wants us to take the message to the world of salvation because God is compassionate. God is loving. God is forgiving. God is a God of mercy and grace. And God's desire is that every single person in the world would be saved and that no one would perish. My friend, if a person perishes and goes to hell, it is not because God did not love them. God did not wait. God did not extend mercy. No, it's because they rejected the love of God. Just like people in Noah's day refused to repent and get on the ark. They were destroyed in the flood. And if folks fuse to repent and trust Jesus and give their heart and life to Christ, God wants to save them. But if they refuse, they will perish forever. God loves people. Verse number 10, this day of the Lord, that word day of the Lord, when you read it in Scripture, it means the day of judgment. The day of the Lord, the day Jesus comes in judgment. The second coming of Christ, when he comes to bring judgment to this world, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Two weeks ago, we talked about that. When Christ comes, his second coming to the world, He's going to come unexpectedly. They will be unprepared. He comes as a thief in the night. But not for the Christian. For the believer, Jesus comes. And we're looking for him. Because he's our Lord and Savior. We anticipate him coming. But the day of the Lord, this judgment day upon the world, will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. And behold, the earth and all of its works will be burned up. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be? Now, friend, think about this for a moment. The Bible says when Jesus Christ comes that this whole universe is going to eventually melt in fervent heat. It's going to be burned up. Everything is going to be dissolved. Revelation 21 tells us that in the very end, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. Now listen, friend, before that new heaven and that new earth, this present earth, 
this present atmosphere, everything around us is going to be burned up. It's going to be judged. It's going to be consumed by fire. Now then, I'm not trying to give us a time frame or a timetable step by step when all of these things are going to happen. I know that Jesus comes in Revelation 19. The end of that chapter is the great white throne judgment, the saved uh, the lost are judged, the saved are with Christ. Satan is cast into hell for all eternity. And all of those who are lost will be cast into hell with him. And somewhere in this whole time frame, the whole earth is going to be burned up and destroyed. And this new heaven and new earth is going to come. And that's where we're going to be with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Therefore, since all of these things are going to be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in conduct and godliness? You know, that's a good question, isn't it? What's my walk with Jesus need to be like? What's my fellowship with Christ need to be like? I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, peace with the Father. What's my life supposed to look like? It's supposed to be like Paul said, I'm anticipating the return of Christ. And when Paul got ready to die, he said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished the race. I finished the course. And there's a crown laid up for me. But he said, not only for me only, but all of those. There's a crown laid up for those who love and long for the appearing and the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, that's me, isn't it? That's you. We're longing for, we're looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. And we're not anxious about his promise. We know his promise is true. We know he will fulfill his promise. And the longer he waits, the more people can be saved. The longer he delays, more of our friends have an opportunity to be saved. And so we're looking for him. We're longing for him. We're going to live for him and witness for him until he comes. He, began, he ends this passage of scripture saying, Looking for, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And then notice how he closes. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth. Now notice that for a moment, according to his promise. My friend, don't grow weary about the promises of God. God promised that Jesus would return. We know that He is. He's promised us many, many promises through the Bible. Don't ever give up on one of the promises of God, no matter what promise it is. Continue to believe it. Continue to hold to it. Continue to pray for it. Continue to ask for it. He said, you have not because you ask not. Continue to ask Him. Continue to pray. Continue to long. When you and I are longing for the return of Christ, it will change the way we live. We believe His promise for new heavens and a new earth. And notice the very last word in verse 13, where righteousness dwells. Where righteousness dwells. Did you know, friend, when Jesus returns, this old earth is burned up, New heaven has come down. A new earth has been provided. 
My friend, you and I will have a glorified body. We'll be able to travel from the new earth to heaven, back and forth with the speed of light. We'll have those glorified bodies. We'll be like Jesus. There will be no limitation. There will be no sin, no sorrow, no sickness, no death, no pain. We will be totally liberated the way God's children ought to be when Christ returns and we're in this new heaven and occupying this new earth. But the last part of this verse is what gets me excited. This new heaven and new earth where only righteousness dwells. No sin in heaven. My friend, you and I won't have to battle sin anymore. We won't have to battle this old sinful flesh and these old desires that pull at us anymore. When we're with Jesus in that new heaven and new earth, there will be no sin. The Bible says at the end of Revelation, there will be nothing there in heaven that defiles it. He gives a list of people that will not be there. And friend, it is, the, it is people's lives who have been rooked ripped and ruined by sin who would never repent who would never trust Jesus who treaded through the blood of Jesus and would never acknowledge his atonement for them no sinners in heaven no sin in heaven only the family of God only the righteous of God what a glorious glorious day and glorious time that's going to be my friend I'm excited about that even so come quickly Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for the word that you've shared with us today. We thank you, Jesus, for your soon return. We honor and love you and glorify you. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.